time for the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Roto-Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By M.J. Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Poly By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Rumpy Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBV. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night, our first show of the 2024 year. Matt, how are we doing? Merry 2024 to you, Lance, and to everyone listening at home, and a very happy tax season. To all of our uh, accountants and CPAs out there, uh, hang in there. I know it's the first week. We'll, we'll see you all again on April 16th. It'll be fine. You guys are going to make it. I don't know if Ryan Day is going to make it to April 16th. Somehow he probably will. And it just makes me upset. But that's not important. What's important is that college football is almost done. NFL playoffs are just around the corner. It, it's a whole new day, a whole new year. I have already dropped two of my New Year's resolutions, which is impressive, but it's all good. We're, we we got ourselves a good one. Once again, happy New Year to everyone out there, and uh, hope that your New Year's were good. That you guys had a lot of fun. Everyone got together, having a good time, and all that all that fun stuff. But my God, I'm so happy to be back because we have got a great show on deck for you tonight. That we very much do on this edition of the NWO Orthopedics. Sports out here from the Fricker Studios. We'll, of course, talk with Kevin Harris to talk all about Ohio State and their loss in the Cotton Bowl to Missouri, along with talking about some other things going on in the world of college football. We'll also talk some NFL and NBA as the show progresses. We might not be at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings day. Tuesday, frickin' chicken wings day. Time to get the Sterloin steak dinner. Thursday, their frickin' chicken chunks. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. You can pick up from the carrot window, dine in, or get delivery through DoorDash. Daily specials are all dine in only. Download the Frickers app and find them online at frickers.com. And Matt, you were you were joking, you know, about, you know, the college football, all that other stuff. But this is really this is the time where you shine because you got the NFL playoffs coming up. You have one, maybe two teams involved at the very minimum. I know you have a lot of teams, so it might be more than half the field by the time the field is all set. But between the NFL and their playoffs, you then right after that, you'll get into the uh, the draft portion of uh of coverage for football as well. So, I mean, just the, the busy season for you is, is really fastly approaching. Uh, yeah, it really is. Um, I'm already putting together. I do have my, uh, first pseudo two round mock draft is already done, but it's really kind of waiting on a lot of people to declare or not declare at this stage. There's a few wild cards that are out there in terms of trying to come up with what that board's going to look like. But yeah, this is a, this is usually my time to shine and uh, carry the burden and the load on this show every Wednesday, which uh, I'm looking forward to. It's good. It's going to be a good time. And I- I'm not going to even respond to the multiple postseason teams because 
I, I've, I've had true. this debate with it, I've had this debate with several people. The fact of the matter is, it's easier for me to just say which teams I don't like. Yeah, that's 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 the whole problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem because when you're a fan of the teams that we've been fans of, you have to be able to still watch the games and have some semblance of a vested interest in them. That's the only reason. And I'm just stand by that opinion a hundred percent. But uh, yeah, this is it's it's gonna get to a uh, a little bit of busy season here. Gonna be a lot of uh, tape watching, a lot of reviewing, and um, I'll I'll tell you right now, probably not much of a secret. I am not somebody who has uh Caleb Williams and Drake May at the top of my draft board by any means. I I don't think they're gonna be. I think they'll be fine. I don't think they're going to be as good as people make them out to be. Certainly for Caleb Williams, the people that are saying he's Patrick Mahomes 2.0, you're out of your God-blessed minds. And I will be happy to prove that on film and through discussion later on this year. But yeah, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I already got a few surprises in store with that one. I think this offseason from a college football and NFL perspective is just going to be bananas. I mean, the transfer portal's already been insane. I think the NFL's going to match it in kind. I, I'm thinking a ton of trades. I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to be switching teams. A lot of teams are going to be going all in in the draft this year. It's going to be fun. It, it's going to be fun, but there's still a lot of football left. And frankly, there's still 20 teams that need to figure out if they're getting into the postseason or not. So, so still a lot to figure out. Can I offer you a limited fake impression of your uh, early uh, early picks. Uh, early picks. I'm. I will say not much of a surprise, even though I disagree with it. Number one. No, 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 is no. Gonna... no, 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 no. I'm not asking you for your picks. I'm asking if I can do an impression of your fake picks. Oh, sure. Have have at it. So, I'm, I'm fascinated. So, go right ahead. So here's the thing. All I know is that Caleb Williams is going to go too high. And if he goes number one, that team's going to regret it. And that team right now is the Bears. But they might trade it again because they traded it last year. That's all. Do you feel good about that? <laughs> Yo, we've been, we, you and I have been over this off air, so I'm just going to address it on air situation as well i don't sound like marge simpson's sisters homie don't like i don't i don't sound like them i don't sound like christian bale gargling marbles in batman where is harvey dent where is he see that's That's your voice that's that's not my voice that's i'm going way deeper on that voice than normal voice but you did get it right i do think caleb williams is going number one personally i think the rams are actually gonna trade up and take him number one but rams okay that that would be interesting i I think the rams will trade up to get him at number one does they tend to go all in when it's quarterbacks from california so i do think i think the rams make sense because i also do think they're going to try and move stafford this offseason like I said, I, I, I currently have it at about 10 quarterbacks being moved just for teams to jockey for positions to draft guys this year. So I think it's going to be an absolutely insane offseason. I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, join us this uh, coming weekend for our coverage of high school basketball Friday. We'll have games on each station on WFOB. The fall story of girls will be back on the court 
They'll be on the road against Oak Harbor. That will be a varsity-only game. Tip-off will be at 5.30 on Friday. Matt Com and Tom Grind will have that on WFOB. On Classic Hits, we'll have BBC Action Liberty Benton up against Elmwood. You can hear that Friday night on Classic Hits 96.7. And then Saturday, a doubleheader of action on the afternoon. We'll have... Coverage of BBC Girls Basketball, Liberty Benson taking on Minster. Matt Common and I will have that one on Saturday at about 1.30. And then Saturday night we'll have SBC River Action, Old Fort taking on Calvert. Matt Common and I will have that one at about 7 o'clock on Saturday. And you can, of course, hear both games on Classic Hits 96.7. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield, the comeback and awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System. We're here. For you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if auto owners make sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits 96.7, WBV on Lance Morris. Matt Common here with you once again this Wednesday night. The Ohio State Buckeyes lose to Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. That ends their season. You can, of course, hear Buckeye football along with Buckeye basketball all season long on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer from Meet on Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. And Kevin, the Buckeyes played fine, at least offensively in the first half, but offense didn't do much of anything really across the whole game. What were kind of the big takeaways for you for, uh, for this one? Oh man, uh, that was, it was certainly something, you know, I, I think that was probably the worst offense, offensive performance I've ever seen from um, Ohio state. And I, there's probably a lot of takeaways there. I think obviously the first thing is that, um, Devin Brown didn't get to play the whole game. Um, you know, had an had an injury in the first quarter and they ended up going with Lincoln Keenholz, true freshman. Um, and you know, like that certainly plays an impact. Like, I'm I'm not gonna deny that. Like it, having to toss in a true freshman, make his first start or what well, start, play his first significant minutes in a bowl game against a pretty good team, like that's that's legit. Um, but like that's not just the whole excuse for the offense looking as bad as it did. I mean, at the end of the day, there was a month to prepare for this game. Um, both quarterbacks were getting plenty of reps in practice with Kyle McCord no longer there. Like they were the only two real options at quarterback. Um, you know, like there's there's no reason why your offense should have looked that bad, regardless of who was playing quarterback. Like you should have any power five starter out there with Ohio State's skill talent on the edge uh, and, you know, in the backfield and have a better performance than that. Um, obviously, the even more than quarterback play, the quarterback play wasn't like atrocious. It was, you know, I guess fine. Um, was the offensive line. The offensive line was horrifically bad. Somehow it was way worse than we um, have ever seen it this entire season. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously they made a couple changes on the um, on the line with 
Matt Jones starting at center over Carson Hinsman and uh, Enoch Vamahi over taking his place at right guard. Vamahi was just like a revolving door the entire game. I, I That was horrifically bad. I guess this is kind of your answer too to like everyone who was like saying in the towards the beginning of the year, like, um, you know, why don't they just make changes? The backups can't possibly be that much worse. It's like, I, well, this is this is what you get when you switch up the offensive line. It's clear that what they were putting on the field really was the best option. Um, I would have liked to see Tigger Shibola get some run at uh, guard in place of Vamahi, especially with how poorly he performed. Um, I think he is a better pure inside guard. Um, I think Vamahi has a lot of the same problems that like Carson Hinsman has. He's undersized. Um, you know, also not a, a super quick guy on his feet. There, there just were not, I, I was never sold on Enoch Vamahi. I would have loved to see Tiger Shibola because I think Tiger Shibola could be a really good inside interior lineman. Um, but all that to say, the largest issue was that the offensive line looked horrifically bad. And the bad news is there's really no, um, no reason to believe it's going to be significantly better next year unless they do some, make some portal additions because uh, just kind of the next guys up as I've mentioned, are not <laughs> are not kind of going to fill that gap anyway. I think the reality of offensive line recruiting is that it takes a few years for you to get a playable guy in there at um, at those positions. And uh, you know, Ohio State has just kind of started to get rolling on some guys that are you know some some higher rated recruits. Um, I think they kind of whiffed in this latest recruiting class too, but. The last recruiting class has some guys that I I think they're excited about getting in there. But like the reality of a college offensive lineman is that um, you really need two, three years to develop to the point that you're ready to play, sometimes even four years. And I think you saw that with Carson Hinsman this year. Like, I don't I don't think Carson Hinsman's a bad guy. Like, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good offensive lineman at Ohio State. But he was decidedly the weak link on this Ohio State offensive line this year. Um, and really, a lot of it is just because he was undersized coming out of high school. And this is just his second year in college football. So um, all that to say, the offensive line was not good. And the outlook is pretty bleak, too. Uh, so, Kevin, I'm, I'm just going to ask once again, like, does he have, like, incriminating photos of Gene Smith or other members of the Ohio State faculty? Is there some long lost blood debt that is being repaid? How, how does Ryan Day still have a job? After yeah. that performance, like how? Like well, I, if I'm doing that kind of performance with a month to prepare in any type of job, yeah, it doesn't matter how good I was beforehand, I'm gone. Right. Yeah. I I think that's that's a, a totally fair reaction. And I think that's the reaction you're seeing from a lot of people. Um it's I was I was talking to Lance before we started recording. Um the the thing with Ryan Day is that up until now, he has done everything else right besides like the biggest things and so it's been like he hasn't really beaten Michigan he beat Michigan once with you know a team that he inherited um he hasn't really beaten Michigan he hasn't won a national title um he hasn't really regularly won big 10 titles either and so I think like when he's not doing that which are the goals like those are those are the goals um you can at least fall back on like well he wins the games that he's supposed to win and like what more do you want um, like that's kind of the talking point is like, look at his, he's winning 90% of his games, um, recruiting at a pretty high level, like producing NFL quarterbacks. Like, yeah, that's, that's, and you know, that's enough to convince you that like, yeah, I guess that's fair. Like if he 
could just beat Michigan and win a national title, then like he's doing everything else right. And so is ever is another coach going to come in here and have the same success as Ryan Day? But the problem with that is that the second you stop doing the the you know baseline things of winning the games that you're supposed to win, uh, you don't really have a whole lot left. And so when Ryan Day comes in and loses in an embarrassing fashion. Um, is a guy who's supposed to be like the offensive mastermind and the quarterback guru um, comes in and his team only puts up three points against a, frankly, a below average SEC defense. Like it's, you know, Missouri's defense is fine. It's not like it's a, a world beating defense there. Their calling card all year was its offense. We talked about that on the air. Um, really good offense, below average defense. And so when you're able to put up only three points against that offense is a when your whole thing is your offensive savvy. You're the offensive play caller. You're the guy who developed the quarterbacks. You're the guy who has assembled this entire offensive staff where it's not clear what a lot of them do. Like, the, I don't know. It's, it's, it definitely reflects poor, like directly back on you. And I think that's kind of the, the response that we're seeing from people now um, is people are realizing like, Hey, the second that he messes up, it's something that isn't a Michigan game or, a national title game or anything like that. Like the second that he stops winning the games that he's supposed to win, then what more does he add, you know? And even further than that, like if his whole thing is being an offensive coordinator, an offensive mastermind um, and developing elite quarterback play and the offense isn't good and the quarterbacks aren't good, like what, what, what more is he bringing to the table at this point? And so I think like it's, it's a fair response at this point to question, like, what are we doing here? You know, like, if he's not doing the things that made him a good coach, like he sure isn't doing the other things either. So like, what's the point? Unfortunately, we've talked about this. Um, they're not going to fire him because Gene Smith is not going to make a decision on Ohio state's next head coach as he's kind of walking out the door. Um, and the new athletic director is not going to walk in in. I don't remember when it is. I think it's like August is not going to walk in and fire a coach like right before the season starts. So no matter what he does, he's got one more season left at Ohio State, unless he kind of reads the tea leaves and goes and takes an NFL job or something like that, which I don't really think is going to happen either. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty bleak outlook for Ohio State fans right now, because I think for the first time, a huge portion of the fan base doesn't really have a lot of optimism in, um, in Ryan Day. And I think for a while that was kind of reserved for the quote unquote fringe who were kind of not sold on him. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB Lance Morse, Matt Common, talking with Kevin Harris, writer from Mina Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. So all, all that being said, all of what you just said being the case, how much does next season's for, for Ryan Day and company, how much does that future hinge on next season with obviously now Michigan, of course, is going to be playing for their own national title next week. And you know that's a team that you could have beat, should have beat, however you want to phrase that. And then you, of course, think of the expansion in the Big Ten with the different teams from the Pac-12 coming next year. The playoff itself is going to be expanding as well. So how much does that leash get shorter if they lose again to Michigan, if they even like lose to like a Penn State or something? Where where does that leash then get even shorter as we're seeing over these last month or so? Oh, yeah, I, I think that it is in a lot of ways, a make or break season for Ryan day next year. I, I think like if you, there is a way that he, there's a scenario where he doesn't quite meet expectations 
but still keeps his job. But I think it could go south for him really easily if he doesn't do and accomplish a certain number of things. Like, I think if he loses to Michigan again next season, he's done. Because the reality is, like, next Michigan team, next year's Michigan team is going to be a clear step back from the teams that they've had for the past three years or so. Um, And it's going to be a game in Columbus with, I think we haven't heard on a lot of these decisions. I think Ohio State's going to get quite a few players back still, which blows my mind. But um, I think Ohio State's going to get quite a few, you know, of those fringe NFL draft guys who are weighing their decisions. I think a lot of those guys are going to come back. So Ohio State is going to have a very veteran team um, against a pretty inexperienced Michigan team that I don't think is frankly going to be as good at home. If Ryan Day loses that game, like I think he's done. Um, so that that's the big thing. There is also a scenario where Ryan Day could lose to like Oregon and Penn State, beat Michigan, and end up in the college football playoff and maybe make some noise in the college football playoff, win a game or two or something like that. And then like maybe he comes back next year. But all that to say, like, I think this is a make or break season for Ryan Day. I think he needs to just show some life, um, make some changes, do something. Because uh, I think just running it back the same way that it has in the past few years is just not going to work. Um, I think he needs to seriously consider changes on the offensive side of the ball. I think that he um, needs to seriously consider giving up play calling duties, maybe make a significant splash in the transfer portal at a number of positions, including offensive line and quarterback. Like, he needs to do some stuff like he needs to change something. He needs to do something this off season uh, because like the reality is that I think that he will be coaching for his job next year and they've really done nothing to enhance their team at this point. Um, they signed a pretty good tight end. Like that's cool. But like, other than that, like they haven't done anything to address any of the clear issues on the team. Um, and it's been, at this point, almost a week since the the Cotton Bowl, you know, like I, I remember when Ohio State had had that debacle um, against Clemson in the in the uh, Fiesta Bowl in 2016, where they got shut out 31 to nothing. And the next day, there were massive staff changes and stuff like that. Like, I just I am perplexed that it has been this long. It's now after signing day, like there's several things that have gone on and there have not been any major staff changes. They haven't really made a splash in the portal. Um, I think they will, at least at the quarterback position, but like it is, it is a bleak outlook for a guy who is, I think going to be coaching for his job. I think that, and and it's kind of like a indicative of who Ryan day has been as a coach is like in, in pressure situations, he turtles, like he's not going to go down swinging. He's not going to go down being aggressive and trying everything he can. Um, he's going to, you know, it seems at least this year, he's going to run it back the same way that he has and, um, just kind of punt it and do the conservative route because he knows what he has. And he thinks that maybe next year it's going to be good enough. Like he's not going to change his offense. He's not going to change his style of quarterback. He doesn't seem like he's going to bring in any other offensive minds on the offensive side of the ball. Um, doesn't look like he's going to make any changes to the way that they recruit or their recruiting process or the way they recruit the transfer portal. Like it looks like we're just going to run it back the exact same way next year is he did this year. And I, that, that blows my mind, but that ultimately is what's going to get him fired because I don't think what happens next year. I don't think if Ohio state just runs it back with the same staff and the players that are projected to be on the team next year and 
has a successful season. I, I just don't think that's the case. Now I'll go ahead and uh, start this with a statement. I was, I was trying to think when I was asking you my question earlier about Brian Day, like a coach comparison. And for me, may, maybe I'm just a, an old curmudge on this. I think of Marty Schottenheimer. Great coach. Can never win the big game, though. Can never pull it off in a key moment. And seems, like you said, to turtle in pressure situations. So uh, you, you mentioned making a big splash in the transfer portal. And anyone who follows you on Twitter or X or whatever Elon Musk decides to call it this particular week, I suppose. You, you've made it no secret who your, who your wish list player is, who just came out into the transfer portal, I do believe, yesterday in uh, Liberty's quarterback, Hayden Salter. Yep. And yep. I, I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask you a two-part question with this. Is it even realistic to assume that Ohio State will go after him? And if it's not, why in God's name not? Because he seems like Justin Fields 2.0. And that's yeah. those types of quarterbacks is when Ohio State's really had their success. And I, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And I've even said, like when we were talking about transfer quarterbacks a couple of weeks ago, I said, um, like the reality is there aren't really a lot of guys that I would go after. Kind of one of the only, the two that I would have gone after is Michael Pratt out of Tulane, who is now, he's going to the NFL. And if Caden Salter decided to enter the transfer portal, that's the only guy I would go after. And now he's in the transfer portal. And the, I guess the thing for me is there's a very real chance that he is going to end up at Auburn, follow his coach over to Auburn. Um, like that's what a lot of people are expecting to happen. That's fine. Like I get that. But if Ohio State doesn't even pick up the phone, like that's a problem for me. Um, if, if Ohio State makes an honest effort to try to get him and loses out, like whatever, you know, it happens. Um, but I think the the issue for me is there's no indication that they're even going to try. And like to me, Caden Salter is the best quarterback in the portal right now. I think he has the highest upside. I think that's a guy that would win the Heisman Trophy at Ohio State. And I think, like, maybe a lot of people are saying, this guy at Liberty, I just watched him at, uh, play Oregon, and he wasn't that great. Like, just wait. Like, just wait. He is a, like, a rising star. Like, this is a future first-round pick sort of guy. Um, and just kind of going back to Ryan Day's mentality, what I expect to happen is Ohio State's going to end up with Kansas State transfer quarterback Will Howard. I have heard from a lot of people that that is certainly the way that this is trending. He's going to visit Ohio State this week. Um, I would be shocked at this point if Ohio State didn't end up with Will Howard. And like this kind of just goes to show Ryan Day's mentality. Like instead of trying something, getting a, you know, X factor sort of player, um, getting something that's really getting somebody who's really going to change the offense, he's going to roll with like a slightly better version of the guys that were already in his room last year. And like, I, I, I and I, I like Will Howard, you know, I, I do. I, I think that he is a clear improvement from, you know, who Ohio State currently has in the room, but he's not Caden Salter. I think Caden Salter is a, like one of those like program changing, like he in himself is a weapon on the offense. He is a dual threat electric guy with a massive arm, um, to, you know, like, a, a guy who can create with his legs and like at the end of the day with how bad Ohio state's offensive line is going to be as projected to be next year, you need to do something that isn't just relying on dropping back and throwing the ball. You need a guy who is comfortable throwing on the rollout. I shared a video on Twitter of him uh, rolling out to his left and flicking a ball 60 yards downfield uh, to an open receiver, like with ease. And like, that's kind of the guy who he is. He's a guy who thrives in a rollout offense 
um, and can create with his legs, can create space in the pocket in the pocket if it collapses. Um, kind of like a Justin Fields or Braxton Miller sort of guy where like uh if if he gets rushed, he can, you know, make guys miss and still have success down the field. Um, like I said, he's a guy who you can design to roll out and you know, he can either tuck it and run or get a guy crossing the field. He is a big enough guy. I mean, he's like six one, just over two hundred pounds. Like he's a big enough guy that like he is a capable runner. Um, you're not worried about him like getting hit too often. He's not like a Bryce Young sort of guy. Um, you know, it, and it's just like they're gonna they're gonna come back with Will Howard instead, who's not really gonna change the offense. It's gonna be largely the same offense that it was with Kyle McCord. Maybe he's a little better of a runner. Um and I, I guess that's just that's just my whole thing with Ryan Day is he's he's not he's not going to do anything to change. They're going to end up with Will Howard, and I'm not trying. Like I'm not even trying to say that that's disappointing. Like it had Caden Salter not entered the portal, I think getting Will Howard would have been the best idea. Um, but to not even try to get a guy who I think is like a a program changing um, sort of player, like a guy who would really like add excitement to the Ohio State program, like I that that's that's what gets me like i just they're not even going to try they're just gonna they know they can get will howard and 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 you know maybe i'm missing something with will howard because usc seems to want him really bad too miami was recruiting him pretty hard too so like maybe maybe he just didn't show his full potential at kansas state and i'm gonna look like an idiot in a couple months by um by you know choosing caden salter over will howard like that that's entirely possible but just like from what we've seen of both quarterbacks right now I love Caden Salter. And more than that, I think Caden Salter is a two-year guy too. Like he he will likely be a two-year guy at Ohio State, um, not an immediate one-year guy. And I think based on the way that the quarterback room's shaken out, like maybe a two-year guy is more ideal. Maybe getting a guy in there who can um grow in your offense one year and take over and kind of be that give you a little optimism about the future is is what you want too. Cause I don't think Aaron Nolan's gonna go anywhere regardless. Um, you've got a pretty good recruiting behind him too. And I am not convinced that they're all that sold on Devin Brown or Lincoln Keenholz. So I, I just, I just don't know, but I, yes, I, I have been saying for a long time, even before he entered the portal that I would have loved Ohio state to have Caden Salter. I think that's a Heisman trophy type of guy. I think that's a national title sort of guy. And more than that, like, I think that would be a, a win for Caden Salter too. Cause he goes to Ohio state and balls out for a few years. Like all of a sudden that's a, a top of the first round sort of guy. Um, so I don't know. I, I I have been very clear about who I wanted in the portal for a long time, and now he's in the portal, and it doesn't even look like Ohio State's going to try. Talk with Kevin Harris, writer for me at midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. Let's transition into the uh, bowl games, not quite the playoff games. Let's start with just the bowl games just because – you know, over these last few weeks, there were some games that were good, some that were not so good. One of those not so good ones was Georgia, Florida State, the clear biggest example of that. With the playoffs kind of becoming what they have, where they now almost completely overshadow the bowl season, and you can see it in a big way with all the various players that are opting out or transferring or whatever else they might be doing uh, to help their future interests, uh, particularly in the, in the NFL. How and what exactly can college football do to change this, especially with the playoff coming and expanding next year? It's going to make it even that much more likely that the guys, you know, in those fringe and other bowl games are like, mm, it's a bowl game. Mm, sorry, but I'm not going to go and risk getting hurt. 
Yeah, you know, it, that's that's the reality of the bowl situation. My my coworker Ryan over at Meet at Midfield um actually brought up a point that I think is a really good idea. Um so the basically the way these bowls function now is they're a preview of next season. And they they kind of have been for a while. The guys who aren't going to be around next season largely opt out and it kind of leads you playing younger players. Um you have a whole week of bowl prep and stuff like that to prepare for next season. Ryan's idea was, "Hey, Maybe let's take these games and move them to the start of next season instead. Put them all on Labor Day, like Labor Day weekend and stuff like that. And um, you can still have the same bowl invites or whatever, but let's play them in August instead. And I like I actually really like that idea because like then the games matter. Um, then you still have these high profile matchups to start the season. And it really does. It's not just a preview of next season. It really does function as a meaningful game. Um, and a high profile game that everybody would care about again. And it obviously it would be a little different, but like the reality is, especially with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams, like really nobody's going to care about the bowl games next year. If you're in a bowl game, um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I really like that idea, especially for power five teams. I think a lot of the group of five games I, I, I mentioned, um, I think last time we talked, like the group of five bowl games were way better because a lot of those players hadn't opted out. Um, we're still kind of playing and wanted to finish their season. And it was truly a reward for some of like the, the lower tier teams, but for these power five schools, like it, they're just shells of their teams um, by the time they're in these bowl games. And sometimes that, that makes it fun. Like Tennessee got to start a five-star freshman quarterback this week. And now they're really excited about the future coming into next year. I think Ohio state kind of had that with the Rose bowl a few years ago when CJ Stroud was thrown to Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison jr. Um, it really gives you some optimism or it can give you some optimism about the future. But I really liked the idea of maybe moving them to the beginning of the season instead of the end of the season. So, um, but we'll see. I, I think like with the playoff expanding to 12, um, it it's going to give you a lot more games and um, a lot more chances for the, the actual bowl games to not matter at all to, uh, you know, the 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 teams that are competing for them regularly um so i i I don't know it's it's a it's a awkward format right now and i think it's only going to get worse with the the expansion and i think what's even more concerning or what's even causing more of these issues is the transfer portal portal window opening in the middle of december and so like a lot of these guys they can't really even play in their bowl games because they are opting out because they're entering the transfer portal. Like you have like a guy like Kyle McCord. I don't really know what it would be like if the portal hadn't opened until like now, like if the portal didn't open until like January 10th or something like that, um, maybe he would have played that game with Ohio state in Missouri. Maybe he'd still be on the roster. Like, I don't really know, but like, since guys have to enter the portal in December, you have a lot of guys that are entering the portal, leaving their teams and like they're, the teams are just a shell of themselves for that reason. Like Ohio state was without Kyle McCord and Julian Fleming and a few other key defensive, well, not key defensive players, depth players um, that could have benefited from bowl practices and uh, a a couple weeks more of development with actual reps in practice. Maybe that would have helped them, you know, climb up the depth chart and stuff like that. Like, I just think it really does a disservice to pretty much everybody involved that the transfer portal window opens, like as teams are trying to prepare for, really in a lot of cases 
uh, the playoff too. Cause like you had even Texas, like a, a great example of this is Texas is in the playoff and Malik Murphy, their backup quarterback entered the transfer portal before the start of the college football playoff. So like when Quinn Ewers took a, you know, decent hit to the head during the game in the, against Washington this weekend, it looked like there could be a chance that they needed to turn to a backup quarterback. It was going to be Arch Manning who really hasn't played that much this year. Uh, because Malik Murphy had to transfer because the transfer portal opened. Like it's, it's a whole mess. Um, Lane Kiffin kind of hit it best when he was like, look, this would be like free agency opening two weeks before the start of the NFL playoffs. Like it's insane. Like just that you have to just like start pursuing free agents and losing players on your team as like teams are still trying to make the playoffs or like, you know, trying to play in a big bowl game. So I think that more than even the opt-outs and stuff like that has made it just a chaotic, chaotic season, like end of the season. All right. Well, Kevin, the important question that comes to mind, if you do switch the bowl games, which hearing that, I love that idea, but I, I do have a serious concern. Will the Pop-Tart be able to recover from his injuries in time for a September Pop-Tarts bowl? Yeah. As opposed is... to a December or January. Like, will will is the recovery time like are they saying he's on track to recover? I, I would think so, but it's tough to tell. That is a legit point. But it, it, in all seriousness, though, I mean, next year is kind of a new world order for college football with the expanded playoff and really switching from it. So I, I guess still with one game to go in the traditional college football playoff era, what what are your takeaways from this era of college football? I mean, it's seems like there was some good, but also came with a lot more headaches than even the old BCS formula seemed to come up with. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing was it's, it's not even, it's not even that the playoff itself devalued all of the other games. I think it's the media coverage of all of the other games or of the, of the playoff that kind of killed the interest in all the other games. Like, the way ESPN milked the playoff and had the playoff selection show and made a huge deal about the, the win and in sort of scenario, like it, it completely incentivized teams to not care at all. And fans to not care at all about like a, a new year six bowl game. And so I don't think that just like moving the game, moving the number of teams in the, in the playoff from two to four really did anything. I think it was 100% just the discourse and the narrative around really the playoff that kind of killed the, the lower tier bowls for, for um, in, in terms of at least fan perception. So like, I, I think that did it more than anything, but the idea of having four teams is far better in my opinion than having two teams. And you can see that by the number of times that a team that was not the number one team ended up winning the national title, like Ohio state in 2014, I think that the be that what will be the legacy of the college football playoff and honestly going forward, it's still not going to be fixed is that it's so subjective. People hate the committee. They hate the committee. They were so enthralled by the idea of having four teams instead of two teams that they were willing to just move on to the subjective committee of people that don't really watch the sport or know the sport. Um, when the BCS formula for choosing the two teams was far better when you actually break it down, it had 10 computers comprised a third of the vote and then they had a the um harris poll and the coaches poll which the harris poll was similar to the ap poll and the coaches poll comprised the other two-thirds and like it spat out most of the time i think the vast majority of the time it got you the two best teams in the country 
Um, so I really liked that formula. It was way more objective. There was no secrecy. You didn't have to have somebody come out and explain like, well, this is why we did this because of the strength of schedule, like everybody knew the formula and it was insulated from individual opinions too, because like one guy's opinion in the coaches poll isn't going to be the make or break decision between, you know, the teams that get in and don't get in. So I think the legacy will be people are furious at the college football playoff committee, but that probably isn't going to change because the committee is still going to exist next year. It's just going to be picking 12 teams instead of four teams. So the issue is not going to be solved. I would love to see a much more objective standard for choosing the teams, but it's not going to happen. And this has been Kevin Harris, meet at midfield rider along with the comeback and off the announcing Kevin. Thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. We'll come back uh, next week, at least one final time and uh, recap what happens uh, next week in the national title game. Sounds good. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some NFL action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Due to substantial growth at Morgan Advanced Materials, we're hiring and want you to join our team. If you're looking for a competitive starting wage, Morgan Advanced Materials has production operator positions starting at $19.76 an hour with the potential of up to $23.91 an hour. Join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Fostoria. Call us at 419-360-9751 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits, 96.7 WBVI. It's Morris Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks, as always, to Kevin Harris for joining us tonight. If you missed any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. We are not physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carryout window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order. Find them online at Frickers.com. Matt, let's talk about some action in the NFL. Looking back at week 17, the Browns started off the week with that big win over the Jets to secure their playoff position. Saturday, we had the controversial Lions versus Cowboys ending. The Cowboys ended up winning that one. Sunday, an interesting mix of games. The Bills actually kind of back and forth in a turnover-riddled game with the Patriots. The Rams edge out the Giants. Same thing for the Colts over the Raiders. The Cardinals beating the Eagles. That, that was a bit surprising. The Saints beat the Bucks by 10. The Ravens all over the Dolphins, securing their spot as one of, if not the best team in the AFC. The Steelers beat the Seahawks, so of course Mike Tomlin again will finish above 500. The Packers beat the Vikings. The Chiefs hold on against the Bengals. And those were some of the big games we had last week. So what were kind of some of your big takeaways from uh, what we saw last week in the NFL? Uh, I'll, I'll start with the Cleveland one because I, I think it needs to be addressed at this point. Cleveland Browns are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I, I mean, it's it needs to be stated at this point of the season. I mean, you're seeing them win games, be effective, but they're doing it 
in with basically spare parts. They're they're like the NFL's bluesmobile somehow at this point. I mean that they're held together by optimism and hope, but my God, they're still winning. So I give them a lot of credit. I think Joe Flacco has a very compelling case for comeback player of the year. Um, I, I think anyone outside of Kevin Stefanski winning coach of the year at this stage might be an insult based on what they've had to work with. And Jim Schwartz says the defensive coordinator, what he's done with that defense. I mean, last year, bottom 10 defense this year, number what two or three overall at this point. I mean, it's, it's been a phenomenal turnaround and the fact they're doing without Nick Chubb, the fact they're doing without their offensive line, I'd say the fact they're doing without Deshaun Watson, but Joe Flacco's better. Um, there's no gain around it at this point. I I mean, they, they're a legit Super Bowl contender. I think you have to take them very seriously in the AFC. And I, I, I don't envy whatever team has to play them in the wild card because I think that's going to not go that well for that particular team. Um, rest of the game's not too surprised. That Cardinals-Eagles game, though, I got to tell you, I don't know if the Cardinals realize that every time they look good, they lose a chance to get Kyler Murray, Marvin Harrison Jr. Because <laughs> um, they seem to be still trying to win. And I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me. It's just like, you, you guys know, you, like, they do know that they're going to lose out on probably this generation's Randy Moss that they could give to Kyler Murray if they keep winning. I mean, they do know that, right? Like, you, you think they know that, that they're aware of that. I think they might be aware of that, but I think you have a first-year coach and a lot of players that are fighting for their own positions, be it on the Cardinals or in other places of the NFL. And I think uh, those are the guys that are like, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't care. We want to win games. But like, they know he's Randy Moss 2.0, right? Like, anyway, that, that, that one's throwing me because the flip side of that, this Eagles team might be the single worst 11 and five football team that the NFL has ever produced. It's the the level of toxicity that seems to be going on in that organization is just fascinating right now. And I don't get what it actually is. It's, this team is good. They have a lot of talent on the roster. They load it up at every position. And it just seems like every couple years, regardless of coaching staff, regardless of personnel, these Eagles teams are just laden with internal drama and struggles. And I, I don't know. I, I think this might be a team that potentially gets blown up a little bit this offseason, which is bananas to me. The way they're the way they started this year, the way they played last year. I mean, in reality, they were one bad pass interference call away from a Super Bowl win. I mean, it's it, it's insane how much they've kind of imploded over the last month, month and a half. But I mean, that's that's the nature of the NFL. Teams get hot, teams get cold really just depends on when that happens and you want to make sure it's at the right time which a good example of that would be tampa i mean the fact that they're in a win and they're in and clinch the nfc south situation this week when they lost six or seven at one stage this year i mean it's it's very continue it, it very much continues the trend that we've been saying for the nfl that man this is just one weird season 
Like this, this could be the type of year where it ends up being Detroit Cleveland in the Super Bowl and just like hell freezes over and everyone's ev- everyone's deals with whatever deity they made deals to to get their teams in the Super Bowl come to fruition all at once kind of situation. I mean, it's just, it's a absolutely banana season and it has not slowed down in week 17 and those games kind of proved it. I mean, Miami's looked good throughout the whole season. Who would have thought the Ravens would drop 56 on them? And again, I mean, the Ravens are a good offense, but it's really the Lamar Jackson show. So them dropping 56 on Miami is incredible considering Miami dropped 70 on Denver earlier this year. And oh, so speaking of Denver, apparently there is war brewing between their multi-million dollar coach and their multi-million dollar quarterback. So like, I don't know. It's It's gone from a weird season to a crazy season to like days of our lives and soap opera dramas while it's still a crazy season. Now I'm just enjoying the ride eating popcorn at this stage. It's It's just been absolutely nuts and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Okay, lots of things from what you just uh, said to touch on. First off, if if in some way, shape, or form it's the Browns, Lions, and the Super Bowl, I don't think that the top half of Ohio and the lower half of Michigan are ready for that in any way because that would be absolutely pandemonium. So if, if that does happen, I, I pray for the people of Ohio and of Michigan. Oh, make, make make no secret about it. Whichever team would win in that scenario, their city would no longer exist due to the partying that would occur. And I mean, you you touched on it with the Eagles. They, I, I don't remember it being this bad, but things certainly were not trending their way at the end of the regular season a season ago. And part of that was because Jalen Hurts was banged up, but. I I wonder if that means that they can be it is it can be as easy as when the playoffs come that they can flip the switch or if they kind of just pick up where they left off from you know some of these struggling games and the Broncos situation it it's like you said it's very it's very interesting because it seems like this has been going on at the very least for these last few weeks with the conversations between Russell Wilson with Sean Payton and with the management of, oh, we don't want to pay you this much. We don't want, you don't, we don't, we can't risk you getting hurt because there's different bonuses attached. And I mean, and then it kind of gets quantified when you see the, uh, the blow up of a few weeks ago. I forget who the Broncos were playing. It might've been the Lions. I don't remember which game, the last game Russell Wilson played where there was that interaction between him and Sean Payton. It's like, oh, take a look at this interaction and then think of all the things that we've heard since that actually happened i mean for for those two situations which are which could end very differently because the eagles still can turn around and possibly even win a super bowl whereas denver is not going anywhere you know anywhere else aside from finishing off the regular season next week yeah well i mean i think denver still has a slight chance at the wild card i could be wrong on that one but like I, I, I think, think it's, I, they might, but they would, I think, need a lot of things to happen. And it, it is one of those, like, they do need a decent bit of help, but they are still in play. But I'm with you on that one. I mean, Philly's already in where Denver ca- kind of needs, you know, a bird to flap their wings properly in um, Central Park kind of situation, level of mathematical probability. But, yeah, I mean, looking at the Denver situation, 
with, with the Broncos be like, well, we don't want to pay you. Well, then you shouldn't have paid him that much money to begin with. <laughs> You're the team that gave a 36-year-old quarterback $230 million. That, that's you guys. That was your choice to do that. And by the way, you did that as an extension that hasn't even been exercised yet. He's still finishing up the final year of his original Seattle deal that they signed. The, the extension hasn't even kicked in at this stage. So this is insane just what Denver to, is trying just, to pull Just to right put now. a bow on it, the Broncos, even if they win, cannot make the playoffs. Fair enough. Okay, so they are eliminated at this stage. But it's just, it, it, again, going off of that, though, a situation where it's like, you guys are the ones that gave him this massive extension that you're now in the hole, really unable to come up with any capital or cap space to really do much of anything to improve this team. That That's on you guys. I, I mean, Cleveland's having the same situation as well. There's people talking about whether or not to extend Greg Newsom or JOK or Martin Emerson, and everyone's saying, oh, these are the problems that good teams have. No, these are the problems that teams that burn a lot of money on one position have every time. And it happens again and again. Look at Kansas City. They gave Pat Mahomes a half-billion-dollar contract. And I can't even name three of his wide receivers anymore. It's it, This is a fallacy that happens time and time again in the NFL that you overpay for one position in the expectation that that is the sole thing that actually matters. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't. There's so many other factors that go into a team being good. I, I think using Cleveland as an example for that, again, they are a testament to that. The, the Browns are the first team in NFL history to make the playoffs using four separate starting quarterbacks. And I believe two of them are, I'm sorry, I think just P.J. Walker is the only one that doesn't have a winning record as a starter for them. So it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm 100% on Russell Wilson's side. If you go get that paycheck kind of situation, go, go get the payday. But for the Broncos to be like, oh, we need you to cut out your injury incentives or we're going to bench you. No, that was you guys making that contract with him. And now you have to live with it and deal with it. Or you cut him. And they're going to eat so much dead cap. I think it's like $140 million in dead cap space next year. They won't be able to sign their draft picks. So, I mean, it's this is a bad situation for Denver, but they did it to themselves, and I kind of feel no sympathy for them in that regard. Um, I mean, as they, 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 they trade, I mean, they just, just to finish the Broncos part of it, they, they made the decision, hey, we're going to trade for Russell Wilson because we think we're – good enough to be a quarterback away and yep. then they added everything that i mean they traded everything they traded away including drew lock who i mean yeah drew lock hasn't really done a whole lot in seattle but he's he's had some moments even with uh with gino getting hurt you know he's, he had that monday night football game that he was able to win so i mean even even he has gotten you know you know some benefit from from the move but it, it just looks like everything that could go wrong with making that deal has gone wrong, and that is even with Russell Wilson actually having a pretty good season by all all accounts compared to how bad he was last year. Um, and that's the crazy part. Statistically speaking, he's having an average season for him, which he's been an all-pro quarterback for most of his career. He's having an all-pro year. He's been good. This is just, this is 100% a money situation in Denver. And I, I, 
I'll address the whole quarter quarterback away from a Super Bowl thing. Tampa Bay and the LA Rams did the entire NFL a massive disservice two years in a row. Massive disservice. Tampa goes out and gets Tom Brady, immediately wins the Super Bowl in the 2020 season. What a lot of people don't realize is they had all pros on their defensive side already with guys like Levante David, Antoine Winfield Jr., Carlton Davis, Vita Vea. On the offensive side, you had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, both 1,000-yard receivers. You had a pretty decent offensive line game put together. There was a lot of pieces in place that they were competitive in spite of Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions. Still the best. Yep. Yeah, the, I mean, the LA Rams, they had Cooper Cup. You had Todd Gurley towards the tail end there. You had Aaron Donald. You had Jalen Ramsey. There was a great team already there. It was just a matter of Jared Goff. And they switched to Matt Stafford, and suddenly things get turned around. It, it's the, the problem that I have with teams going, oh, we're just a quarterback away. They're usually not. And it's just a matter of, oh, we're a quarterback away. We're this, we're that. It's all those fine things, all fine and good. But if you haven't built the team up around it before that, you're sunk. The, the Broncos did not build up around Drew Locke at all. They were still in a rebuild mode and suddenly decide out of the blue that all we need is a quarterback. And they were so far from that. Cleveland, I'm in the same situation, but it's kind of worked in spite of that situation right now. But even like Kansas City, oh, we just got to keep Patrick Mahomes and we're going to win the Super Bowl every year. So far, it's worked out. But this year, they've really struggled. It's the, the, the fallacy of being just a quarterback away, in my opinion, is one of the biggest detriments to the NFL right now. And one of the reasons why the NFL is kind of a just wild west at this point as to what teams are going to be good, what teams are bad, who's going to develop, who's going to be a star, who's not. I mean, yeah, look at the Texans. C.J. Stroud immediately turns around the team. Or was it Demeco Ryans as a head coach? Or was it the fact that they brought in a lot of complimentary players that fit that system and then brought the quarterback in? I mean, Carolina is another prime example. Trade the farm just for Bryce Young. And you know what? They get to sit without the number one pick this next year. Or they could have used it on a Caleb Williams, a Drake May, a Michael Penix, or a Jaden Daniels. Instead, they're stuck with what they have and really no room to do much of anything else with it. It's, I don't know. I, I, I feel this season more than any other season has really validated for me the opinion that the quarterback may be the most celebrated position. And it's an important position. But you can have good quarterback play and still be a bad football team, or you can be have terrible quarterback play and still be a good football team. I, I think you have a lot of examples of both of those in the NFL this year. And then we've talked over and around it, but the Eagles then just maybe they can turn it on, maybe they can't. What do you what do you think we see from the Eagles? I think they can turn it on. I mean, they got too much talent to not be able to turn it on. Uh, the problem is, can they turn it on and keep their focus? The, the, the Eagles seem to be a team that likes to work best when they feel slighted. When they feel disrespected, when they feel like the team is not given the credit they deserve. That's always been the Eagles MO. They, they like being the scrappy underdogs. That's, that's a Philly mindset. Having said that, though, if the problem is their quarterback... And not necessarily how Jalen Hurts has been playing, but that it seems like none of the players on the team like Jalen Hurts all of a sudden, which is weird. 
that that's a bit of an issue. It seems like AJ Brown doesn't like his role in the offense, which you're making a hundred million dollars. Do you really care what your role in the offense is at this particular point? So I don't know. I, I think they can turn it around. I think they'll still be one of the the teams to beat in the NFC. Having said that, though, it really would not surprise me if they somehow make a first round exit. Like I th- I think they'll be okay. Out of the teams that could make a first round exit, that'd be surprising to some people. I I think they're one of them. I think they could lose in the wild card. Depends on the matchup and depends on, frankly, if they can get their head screwed on straight and clear up some of this unnecessary drama that seems to be going on in Philly this year. And then some other things in football that I wanted your take on. Unless Lamar gets hurt, who is beating the Ravens? I know we've seen, I know the Browns beat them earlier this year. I know the Ravens have lost, but it sure seems that right now that they can do no wrong, especially with how they were able to uh, beat the Dolphins over the weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I enjoy watching the Dolphins. I think they're a good team. Um, I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks may have initially thought they were. I, I, I hear the word fraud get tossed around a lot of them. I don't think they're frauds. I really don't. They've beaten some good teams. I just, they don't have the experience yet against very good teams. And I think that shows in games like Baltimore. Um, I think Cleveland could beat Baltimore. I'll be honest. I think Buffalo could actually beat Baltimore. Um, I don't really think Baltimore is going to have much of a challenge, though, potentially until the AFC title game. I, I mean, depending on who comes out of their matchup, I mean, they get the lower seed, so they could be playing anyone from, say, Cleveland wins against the AFC South. They could be playing anyone from Cleveland all the way to Indianapolis or Houston, and I think Indy might give them a little bit of a run, or Houston could make it interesting. Baltimore will beat both of them. So I kind of view it as for the AFC, one of your conference championship teams is set. It's just a matter of figuring out who the next one is going to be. But it... it they're having a great year. There's no denying it. Lamar Jackson has up until this point, very quietly put together an MVP style season. And I, I will say, I think he is the clear cut MVP. And I don't think it's a bad choice. I think he's been phenomenal and very deserving of it. So he's been having a great year. The defense is finally coming alive again for Baltimore. And it seems like they've kind of figured it out with the receiving room. So, uh, Maybe Cleveland. Cleveland's the last ones to do it. So they might be the next ones to do it again. You never know. But maybe Cleveland and Buffalo. But outside of that, I, I don't really see anyone else keeping up with Baltimore and the AFC. And then flip side with the NFC, similar things you can say about the Niners. And yeah, the Ravens beat them pretty good a few weeks ago. But aside from that, when they've been healthy, it's been kind of all systems go for the Niners. I mean, we, we watched them beat the Cowboys once we watched them beat the Eagles too it, it and especially with them having home field so you have that advantage as well because Dallas seems to be that much better when they are at home you know compared to some of those other teams that are you know good on both on the road and at home so I mean similar situation but slightly different story how do you feel with the uh, with the Niners and the NFC uh 49ers are going to the NFC title game it's just a matter of if they get to move on to the Super Bowl or not is really my opinion of the 49ers. I, I, I think they're a legitimate juggernaut. I mean, between what Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuels can do uh, on the offensive side of things, skill position-wise, what you get out of Fred Warner in that defensive line night in and night out, um, 
Brock Purdy, who after his bad performance basically intercepted his way out of the MVP race kind of situation, which on a side note, little sidebar rant about that. To all the haters out there about Brock Purdy, oh, he's a system manager, quarterback, or all that, shut up. Just shut up. The kid was lights out at Iowa State his entire playing career at Iowa State. He's been a good player. The problem was he wasn't at a big institution is the reason he was Mr. Irrelevant. But you know what? He's come in. He's run the system beautifully for Kyle Shanahan. And if everyone's like, oh, well, Shanahan just makes good quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo sucked in Kyle Shanahan's system. Okay? He was terrible. So I'm sorry. I get heated about this because I don't understand the hate around Brock Purdy outside the fact that he very, very suspiciously does look like John Harbaugh, like to a scary level, maybe a long lost sibling or child situation. But no, it's just shut up with that nonsense. Oh, he's a system quarterback. Yeah, your quarterback's a system quarterback too. What's your point? It's that, I sorry, just hate that narrative. But to get back on hand and on task here, uh, yeah, I think the 49ers make the NFC title game. For the rest of the NFC, flip a coin. I mean, the, the NFC is so muddied this year in terms of who could be in, who could be good, who's not going to be good, who's going to get bounced early. I mean, yeah, flip a coin. But it really, it's going to be 49ers versus whoever else makes it in there. Same thing with the AFC. It's going to be Ravens versus whoever gets out of it. And I, I do think we're staring down the barrel pretty emphatically of a Ravens 49ers rematch in the Super Bowl. And I got to tell you, I think it'll be a phenomenal Super Bowl if that ends up being the game. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFB Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris. Matt Common talking NFL action. Now looking to the final week of the regular season Saturday. We have Steelers versus Ravens, but the Ravens don't really have anything to play for. Already have their seating locked up. Also do have the Texans and Colts, which are each trying to sneak into the playoffs. And then Sunday we have Browns versus Bengals, Lions versus Vikings. Falcons, Saints, Bucks, Panthers, Bears, Packers, Eagles, Giants, Rams, Niners, and Bills, Dolphins. Bills, Dolphins, definitely the biggest of those games, but still do have a handful of games that uh, do certainly have some playoff implications. Oh, major playoff implications this weekend. I mean, Packers, it's a win and they're in situation. The Tampa, it's literally win or go home. They ha- they can either win the NFC South or they're eliminated. That uh, Texans. Jaguar or Texans uh, Titans game excuse me I mean that one's got a lot riding on it for both of those teams potential wild card bid or depending on what happens with Jacksonville potential AFC South title on the line in that game as well so I mean it's a lot of really good games this weekend a lot of really good games a lot of big implications as I mentioned earlier uh, this week 18 there's still 20 teams that are in playoff consideration Second highest number in the last 50 years for teams going into the final week of the season still being mathematically eligible for the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of good games. Um, That Bills-Dolphins one will be interesting. I really think that's going to set the tone because that's also going to decide the AFC East. That's also most likely going to decide the number two seed for the postseason, So for the AFC. So, I mean, there's a lot riding on these games this weekend should make for some great football should make for some really really good football if i were to make some predictions ahead of it i think miami wins 
I think Miami does win. I, I feel pretty good about that, especially if they are healthy, if Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are both back, which that's a little bit of a stretch, but we'll see. I mean, it's Wednesday night right now, so we'll see what happens as the week goes on. But I do see Tampa beating Carolina. I don't, if, if Tampa loses to Carolina, Todd Bowles needs to be fired before halftime of that game. Just as simple as that. I do like the Texans, uh, but I think that game's going to really come down to the wire between Texans and um, the Colts, I believe, for that one, correct? Yep. Yeah, so I think that one will come down to the wire. Um, the Jacksonville one's interesting. That one could be interesting. I, I think they have a shot, but I kind of see them losing, especially with them not being 100% right now. And then personally, my favorite is the fact that Chicago Bears, Chicago Bears could have one of the best turnarounds where they proved, I, I, and I'll stand by it. I feel that they proved me somewhat right in my prediction of like, hey, don't sleep on the Bears this year. Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. But Justin Fields did finally start to look really good. DJ Moore is a 1,300-yard receiver for them. They got the number one pick in just a highway robbery with Carolina. And they have a chance to knock out the Packers. I mean, you really can't ask for much more out of that for a non-playoff year from an NFC North team. So it, it, there should be some good games, some very good games to watch. I hope Baltimore does elect to play for it in their game against Pittsburgh. Personally, I'm kind of rooting for an asteroid in that game. Naturally. It's just that just that's how I feel about the situation. But I, I hope that they do play because I don't think they would like three AFC North teams in the playoffs total. I, I don't think Baltimore would really like their chances having to go against two potentially AFC North teams with one of them already being Cleveland. And frankly, Cleveland was a Miami win away from potentially being the AFC North champions themselves. So again, a lot of good games, a lot, a lot of good ones to watch, definitely plenty to keep an eye on, but uh, kind of surprising going into the final week of the season, how many division titles are still on the line at this point? It's, it's really staggering to me. I bet if you had told pretty much any Bengals fan, Hey, by the way, the Bengals are not going to make the playoffs, but every other team in the AFC North will. I think pretty much all of their heads would explode. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, look, the, the Bengals, they, they are an absolute testament to when the injury bug goes wrong. Yeah. They just are. I mean, and God love them. Uh, Zach Taylor has gracefully lucked his way into Joe Burrow as his quarterback and Jake Browning somehow as his backup, which is crazy. That Browning's actually halfway decent. But my God, do they need to fix that offensive line? You cannot keep getting Joe Burrow killed like this every season. He's too good. He's just too good. Don't don't waste him with this terrible offensive line that they have. They gotta fix that. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some NBA action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. 
NWO has news. We are excited to announce the newest addition to the NWO family. Dr. Ryan Tran is a local who was raised in the area, trained by the Cleveland Clinic, and has returned to his hometown to care for your whole family, just like he does his own. Dr. Tran is now accepting new patients of all ages in our Tiffin office. Make your appointment today to experience the benefits of family care by a hometown professional. There's only one place to go, NWO. Saying goodbye to summer is less sad when you realize your favorite fall flavors are here at Bigby Coffee. Celebrate the return of our sweet foam pumpkin cold brew, pumpkin spice latte, and our caramel apple cider. Pair these delicious fall sips with our maple waffle sandwich or pumpkin muffin. Available for a limited time at one of the two Bigby Coffee locations in Findlay, one on Trenton Avenue and one on Tiffin Avenue. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits 96.7, WBV Island. It's Morris Matt Common here with you. Big thanks to Kevin Harris for joining us today on the show. If you missed any part of our show or just want to hear, hear it again, head over to WFOB.com. Click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. And, of course, stop by the Frickers in Finley for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak, dinner kits, eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order. Find them online at Frickers.com. And, Matt, let's talk some NBA as we're getting closer to the midway point of their season. Teams are starting to solidify themselves a little bit. In the East, the top six teams, the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Heat, Magic, and Pacers, the Cavs and Knicks, just behind them in the play-in portion. In the West, top six teams, Timberwolves, Thunder, Nuggets, Clippers, Kings, and Pelicans. The Mavericks, Suns, Rockets, and Lakers are the play-in teams at the moment. Teams like the Warriors, Jazz, and Grizzlies all out of the playoffs. The Grizzlies, of course, did go on a little bit of a run as soon as they were able to get uh, John Morant back on the floor after his suspension for a chunk of this season. So what are some of the big things that you are looking at at the NBA as we uh, start to turn over the calendar? Uh, First of all, hats off to the Pistons for finally ending the uh, losing streak. God love that. I I felt so bad. It was actually starting to get painful to watch. So I, I was very happy to see that they got on the uh, winning ways finally, even if it was just for a single game and they're right back to losing. That's what's important is the streak is over. Um, easy one right off the bat. Don't sleep on the Grizzlies. Don't expect them to stay at 13 too much longer. Um, especially with John Morant, Morant back. Seems like he's seems like he has gotten his head on straight, which is good. Very, very good for him. And seems like he's gotten into a better headspace overall. So I would say absolutely don't sleep on the Grizzlies making a run back into playoff consideration. Um, The other thing that I'd say, I don't really see in the Western Conference a lot of change outside of that. I think at 32 games for these teams, a little under halfway, I I think it's safe to say that the Thunder and the Timberwolves are for real this year. That they they have finally built it up and they're kind of the real deal. I mean, 24 and 8 for the Timberwolves, they're on a heck of a run. They really are looking good. A thunder on a nice five-game winning streak going into it. I, I think your top four in the Western Conference between them, the Nuggets, and the Clippers, that's probably how it's going to shake out for the remainder of the season. So it's I, I think you can really solidify that one out. And then in the East, it's, I mean, my goodness, one and two between the Celtics and the Bucks. It's, you really can't 
expect that to change up too much. They might flip around here and there. Same thing with the Sixers, if they can keep turning it on. But outside of that, the Eastern Conference is kind of a toss-up. I mean, the Cavs, you, you look at them at the number eight seed right now, there's only a game and a half difference between them and the number four seed in the Eastern Conference at this current time. That's insane. I mean, it's really that condensed up right now. So I think especially in the Eastern Conference, you're going to see a lot of sellers very quickly at the bottom portion of it. I'm sorry, the Western Conference. I, I see a lot of sellers, but I see a ton of buyers in the Eastern Conference. We've already seen it with the Knicks going after um, OG Anubi, correct? Not OG Anubi. Um, that is who they just traded for, isn't it? OG Ananobi, but yes. Ananobi, excuse I'm sorry, o OG Ananobi. Yeah, they just traded for him with Toronto. Toronto just got a just plethora of good young players in that one, so don't expect them to be down in the dumps for too long kind of situation. I absolutely see the Wizards and Hornets potentially blowing it up, but I see the Cavs being players in it. The Nets are always going to be a team that buys, regardless of their record. And I'll, I'll take a step further. I think your Orlando Magic might actually be legit playoff contenders. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, they're kind of on a little bit of a downturn right now, losing, I think, three of their last four, but I, I think they could be sneaky contenders in the Eastern Conference. They, they've done a good job acquiring talent that actually complements each other. They, they could be pretty good, so... I think the tops of both conferences are pretty set. I think Celtics and Bucks and then Timberwolves and Thunder are pretty much locked in. And outside of that, I think it's kind of open season the rest of the way out. So it, it should be interesting, especially Eastern Conference, how closely stacked they really all are right now. So yeah, just look at it. Right, right now, you have the Heat, Magic, Pacers, Knicks, Cavaliers, Nets, and Bulls all within three games of each other. That, that's your whole postseason right there. That that That's three of the 12 spots, including the play-in spots. That That's just insane. So should be interesting. Should be curious to see how it all shakes out once it's all said and done. But as of right now, I feel like you've got some legit contenders in Minnesota, Boston, Milwaukee, and Oklahoma City. And I can't tell you how nice it is to not say Golden State in that conversation. It's just, it's nice. It's just refreshing. You're such a Golden State hater, though, so... It, look, Golden State has the same problem that the Patriots have, that the Yankees have, that the um, the NHL teams like the Penguins have had over the years, teams like the Avalanche, the Wild, you know, teams that are just consistently good and great year in and year out and always in the discussion for the title, uh, the Lightning in Tampa Bay. It's... They're, they've just been good for so long, you kind of enjoy seeing them stumble. Not because, oh, I hate them. I mean, I do. I can't stand them because of being a Cavs fan. And steal, actively stealing two more NBA championships away from the Cavs. Well, that's not important. What's important, though, is that you're seeing new teams step up. I mean, the Kings are in the five spot. No one ever thought the Kings would be that good again. Like, they were always like this, okay, like, maybe they're a popular pick, and then by December, they're already done. Timberwolves being number one, Thunder being back on top. It's it's just nice to see some other teams make some runs. That That's really what it boils down to. I mean, kind of the same thing in the East. I wouldn't mind seeing the Celtics take a little bit of humility 
but it'd be cool to see the Magic and the Pacers move up. And it's been fun to see them moving up. It's it's nice to see some new teams and some new blood get in there every now and then. Well, firstly, if somehow, by the grace of God, it is Pacers Magic for the Eastern Conference title, I will have to find my way to Indianapolis for a game. That is, That goes without saying. You got to do that for Cavs Magic as well if it somehow ends up being the case. Cavs Magic as well would be... I mean, obviously, that happened once upon a time. We're not talking about that one. <laughs> We're not talking. How do you let Hito Turkle? No, no. It can't hurt me anymore. It can't hurt me anymore. Mikel Petrus. Why'd you have to say his name? Why'd you have to say his name? <laughs> he was a bust for his whole career, but somehow he turns into freaking... Scotty Pippen against the Cavs for one series. Just one series, and that's it. Oh, God. That Magic team haunted my dreams for an entire offseason. They beat oh. you so bad you got old Shaq. You know what? We did get old Shaq, okay? And he promised a ring for the king, and that did not work out. But we got to have Shaquille O'Neal. It was fun. It was, it was fun to say we had Shaquille O'Neal for a season. Uh, so after our little detour down memory lane, let's let's stick in the East. You, you Mikhail Petrus is public enemy number one in Cleveland. <laughs> so further, no, I'm sorry. No, he's not. I'm sorry. No, he's not. No, he, he's not. It, it was so long ago. It's just, it can't hurt me anymore. It's okay. Even though it just did, it appears. It does. It really, it still cuts me so deep. I need to remember that. It's, so it's, good. it's the, it's the NBA version of the, uh, PG McComb, uh, Philly special. What? Why are you trying to hurt me on this show today? <laughs> Maybe it's just a sign that I missed you. Maybe it's 2024 and you've just been hitting me with drive-bys this whole show. <laughs> Just, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. I need to start off my year laughing, and this is how I, I do it. I I suppose. But anyway, I'm sorry. Our detour over. Please continue. So in the East, uh, I, I did want to talk about uh, Tyrese Halliburton because, I mean, yeah, the Pacers are a little further down in the standings, you know, at the moment. But as you so alluded to, all those teams are kind of in a log jam within a few games of each other. So they very easily could vault themselves up. But, I mean, the Pacers, they had themselves in contention for the uh, in-season tournament as well, so they were able to win some of those games when it mattered. So if uh, if Halliburton and company can uh, can stay uh, keep their train on the tracks, it, it's it's going to be interesting because uh, it, it makes them that much tougher of a matchup. Yeah, I mean, what Halliburton's doing is phenomenal. I mean, was he top five in points or something like that right now? I mean, he's really just been lighting it up night in and night out for Indiana. And it's, this is where Indiana's at its best. They they have a good big man with guys like, because they still have Miles Turner. I'm not crazy on that one, correct? Correct, they do. So they, they're always good with a big man and then just a phenomenal shooting guard like wing perimeter player. For years, it was Reggie Miller. Then it was, you know, Jermaine O'Neal in the paint for all that time. And it's, you've had great players come through that program with Indiana. And I, I think Halliburton is just the latest example of that. He really is. It's 
they're a good team. I think they're very fun to watch. And yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, out of the, those teams in the logjam, I really think between the Magic Pacers and Cavs, out of that like eight t- eight team group that you have there, I I think those are the three teams that have a legitimate shot of booming up into the standings quite a bit by the time we get to the end of the season. So yeah, Pacers put on a show in that in-season tournament. I still don't understand what that in-season tournament was about, and I never will. Just going to have to live with that one, but the Lakers put up a banner for it, so that's nice, I suppose. But yeah, the the Pacers, they they look good. They, They look like a competitive team. I think to be fair with the Eastern Conference, the reason there's such a logjam there is a lot of these teams have kind of been built up through the draft and haven't been like the super team situations out in the Western Conference and just built themselves really good teams overall. So, yeah, I mean, the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, he's he's fun to watch. I, I look forward to seeing more of him, and I think he can keep it up, and we're probably talking about Halliburton for MVP considerations by the time we get to the end of the season. We mentioned it earlier, but the Pistons, of course, had their very long losing streak. It was snapped, but then they turned right around and lost their next game after that. Do you think uh, Do you think the they are in danger of finishing as the worst team ever? Still a lot of games still to be played, of course, but when, when you have a losing streak that big, it's, it's hard to believe you're going to turn it around in a major way. They are the worst team ever. It really doesn't matter what their record ends up being. It's statistically, yes, the Charlotte Bobcats that one year are still historically considered or technically considered the worst team in NBA history. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna keep it a buck. This this Pistons team is an absolute garbage fire on top of a dumpster fire, being shot into a can of gasoline on top of a barge of nothing but garbage. This, they're just horrible. They really are. If I'm the Pistons, I'd, I would seriously consider selling the farm this off this season. I mean, you have some high draft picks that just are proving to not pan out. I, I think I speak on everyone's behalf when the Cade Cunningham hype is officially over kind of thing, because you're not a superstar if you've won three games. You're just not. And I, I was not a fan of Cunningham going number one couple years ago i stand by that i don't think he's a the type of player that you can build around kind of situation and it's it's shown in detroit so if i'm them i blow it up get as many picks as you can find a general manager who's actually going to bring people in that fit the detroit Pistons style of basketball and somehow fix this mess because the pistons being this bad it it's actually kind of bad for the nba the Pistons are a historically competitive team. They're a historically entertaining team. And this is just bad for the league that they are this bad. And I can honestly say to an extent, same thing can be said for the Spurs. Being 5-28 and 28 on the season, I mean, everyone knew they were going to have a bad year. But my goodness, uh, I didn't think it was going to be this bad for either of these teams. I really did. So... I I think they will go. I think Pistons will go down as the worst team. I don't see them winning ten games. I see them winning maybe three or four more over the course of this season, and it's just going to continue to be ugly. And it's going to be a fire sale at some point and a cleaning out of house, probably the immediate day after the regular season ends, if not earlier. 
And then switching over to the West, and you mentioned it's probably time to take the Timberwolves and, and or the Thunder seriously. And uh, it's not that I disagree. It's just they have got – they've built their teams up and are very much, you know, through their draft, as you mentioned, with the East. I mean, the, th- the Timberwolves – did make the trade for Rudy Gobert where they did give up a lot. But the, I mean, the Thunder in part with like just the Paul George trade, they, you know, they got Shea Gildas Alexander and a litany of picks and have kind of continued to stockpile even after that. But it's, it's just kind of, it's weird for me to think, oh, the West runs through Minnesota. Like that just is not something that's ever been said. Well, I'd say for that, that the the West has run through Minnesota back in the old uh, Kevin Garnett era, that there was a while that the even West the, even Even then, they only had really one year where they were really good. And they, they had a couple. I mean, they, they were pretty competitive. But I, I guess the thing that I'd say to that, yes, the, the big trade for Rudy Gobert, but they drafted Anthony Edwards. They drafted Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, some of the players that they've gotten in like, other piece parts as parts of the trade have been like more role players, but yeah, outside of Rudy Gobert, they've really put together this team through, you know, draft picks and smart signings. I, I personally think the signing of game Mike Conley Jr. into Minnesota sneakily one of the best moves this off season and going into this season was getting Mike Conley Jr. an established veteran capable point guard. Let Anthony Edwards be a little bit more off ball, which is where he excels as opposed to running basically like a point three position. And uh, yeah, I mean, they've, they've done a lot of really good things. They've done a lot of smart moves, a lot of smart decisions. And it's, I'm, I would say I'm surprised at how dominant they are, but I'm not surprised that they're good. I really feel that they put together a really good team and a lot of good players in good positions to be successful. And it's just, it's finally starting to pan out. Uh, so yeah, for Minnesota, it's impressive. For Oklahoma City, I mean, they've always somehow cobbled together good teams. You know what I mean? Like they've yeah. had a like a about two or three year downturn here and there. But the fact of the matter is they always just put together these good competitive teams and somehow just make it work. And still you stand by Chet Holmgren's way too skinny. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that opinion for all time. I was going to say that was one of our, I don't know if it's most heated that we've had in, in discussions, but it's, you, it's up there. you were, you were very out on Chet Holmgren from the beginning and I was very in on Chet Holmgren from the beginning. And I thought that there was of course a chance that it would end up on the magic and there was the chance, but they took Paolo Bancaro and that part has worked itself out as well. But I, I very much had been, I think Holmgren's going to be really, really good. And you were like, ah, he's skinny, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, he's, he's certainly shown that once he was able to get healthy, cause he did technically miss his whole rookie year because of injury. So it's not that he's without risk still, but he has, uh, he has played very well this season. He hasn't played bad. I think if you're looking for him to be a center, you're sorely disappointed. I'll just be honest. And I, I do feel I do stand by my opinion of him that for a an NBA big man to be as slight of frame as he is, it just doesn't work. That being said, he's shooting 41% from three-point land right now. 
So I, I think the attitude may need to sh switch about what Chet Holmgren is. He's not a center in the paint getting you boards. I mean, he's getting seven and a half a game. It's not terrible, but for a big man, that's you know a little concerning. He's getting out-rebounded by he's, some small he's forwards averaging and some shooting almost, guards. He's averaging almost three blocks. That's Yeah, if he's out on the perimeter because he's more of a perimeter guy, he's going to go and get some height advantages there. He's had some good blocks, but what I'm getting at, let me land my plane here a little bit on this one is if you're looking at Chet Holmgren as a traditional big man, which I tend to, I want to, I, when I think of a center, I think of a Jared Allen. I think of a Dwight Howard. I think of a big body throwing down in the paint kind of situation, if that makes sense. That's not Chet Holmgren. Now the modern NBA, that's a lot more three ball heavy, more Euro style play. He's a great fit and it shows he's having a good season. So Based on how I view my centers and big men in the NBA, I still feel I'm right. The metrics and the way the NBA is converting in terms of its style of play looks like he's going to be just fine overall. That'll just about do it for us here tonight. Big thanks to Kevin Harris for joining us today on the show and join us this weekend for our coverage of high school basketball. Friday night, we'll have games on each station on WFOB. The Fawn Story girls will be back on the court. They will take on Oak Harbor. That will be a varsity-only game with Matt Common and Tom Grant having on Friday at about 5.30 on WFOB. And then, and then on Saturday, we'll have some more doubleheader action. We'll have the BBC girls matchup with Liberty Benson taking on Minster. Matt Common and I will have that one on Saturday afternoon. And then Saturday night, SBC River action, Old Fort taking on Calvert. Matt Common and I again. We'll have that one for you on Saturday. So plenty of high school basketball coming down the pipeline over these next few days. For my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.